0: You're listening to the Diplomats Asia Geopolitics Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Putz, coming to you from Washington, D.C.
1: And this is Ankit Panda, also from Washington, D.C. Good to see you, Katie.
0: How are you doing, Ankit?
1: Uh, Doing pretty well. Summer's uh, starting to get a little bit slower as we're heading into August, but uh, I don't think that means that news is slowing down, of course, and uh, there'll be a lot to talk about.
0: No, no, the the halls of Congress empty out in August here in Washington, but everything else churns along. Uh, So I think today what we should talk about is the trilateral summit that's taking place next month at Camp David. Uh, That's Japan, Korea, and the United States, unless I have the wrong trilateral in mind. Uh, Why? uh, And I I want to explore why that's important and what else is happening in in East Asia that's sort of round out this month. So Ankit, this trilateral summit, why is this important? Why is this happening now?
1: So a couple things. So uh, promoting better trilateralism in northeast asia between america's two important treaty allies south korea and japan has been a long-standing u.s priority Um, but in practice i think that's been easier said than done uh, mostly due to the relatively rocky up and down relationship between seoul and tokyo Uh, and uh, you know we can we can talk a little bit about the disputes, uh, particularly in recent years that have taken public opinion at Japan towards South Korea and in South Korea towards Japan towards historic lows, although that has improved a little bit uh, in in the last um, 18 to 24 months or so. Uh, so for the US, this is sort of a no-brainer uh, when it comes to um, the Indo-Pacific and the regional security order. You have two liberal democratic allies deeply invested in the regional status quo with a similar set of threat perceptions concerning north korea uh, and arguably china although japan and south korea certainly uh, prefer to talk about china publicly at least in different ways and so given these structural factors and how both countries have these overlapping interests and the fact that they're both treaty allies washington seeks to sort of make these two alliances greater than the sum of their parts which isn't to say that this is all about creating a trilateral alliance in northeast asia uh, it is about basically um coordinating more directly with both japan and south korea promoting cooperation between the two of them uh, so that's i think what's really notable here uh, last uh, fall in cambodia during the uh, usual bout of southeast asian summitry. um President Biden, Prime Minister Kishida of Japan, and President Yoon of South Korea uh, met in person and issued a trilateral declaration. Uh, And it's been, you know, since then, we've been expecting this kind of trilateral summit. Uh, And so now it's supposed to happen, uh, as you said, Katie, uh, in a matter of weeks, I think. I think the date right now that's in the press is uh, August 18th uh, at Camp David. So um, that's that's what we're looking forward to. And my guess is that the agenda will be pretty wide ranging, not just security, but also on um, regional economic issues as well, um, given how important that is to both Japan and South Korea. Uh,
0: let's let's get into the Japan South Korea relationship and how that has, Uh, Seem to have improved in the last couple of months. I think uh, that has been an an initiative on the part of the South Korean president to try to repair that relationship to some degree. Um, But that, of course, leaves it uh, forever. This happens in democracies, right? Uh, Anything that that a leader pushes through could be changed if they're no longer in power. So that kind of leaves it in a, a curious place. How have you seen either that improvement of that relationship, and and where do you think that can go from here or is this sort of a momentary reprieve in in a relationship that's occasionally pretty tense um though obviously the structures of it are impacted by china the united states the regional atmosphere
1: yeah so um you know so you're absolutely right in bringing up domestic politics here Uh, i think a lot of uh what has made this trilateral summit possible really is the fact that a conservative administration came to power in Seoul last year. But not only that, uh, you know, conservatives in general, I think, have been more willing to pursue better relations with Japan uh, in South Korea. But more specifically, uh, Yoon suk yeol the the new South Korean president. Well, he's been around for more than a year, so I don't know if it's fair to call him new anymore. Um, but Yoon really expended just, I think, tremendous amounts of domestic political capital in pursuing uh, what's been, frankly, a really unpopular um, agenda item uh, for his foreign policy and trying to improve relations with Japan. Um, and what's especially fascinating here is, you know, Yoon was... Not elected by a particularly enthusiastic South Korean, uh, uh, you know, population. He he sort of um, mm-hmm. basically was unenthusiastically elected to serve as president without widespread support um, from even many conservatives. Um, and his approval ratings have basically been consistently below thirty percent. And despite this, uh, he's been taking approval hits to, uh, you know, communicate that he really does want to improve relations with Japan. Uh, and I think I think to maybe sort of flesh out this answer a bit, Katie, it'll be helpful to kind of talk about the disputes uh, that have sort of taken the relationship mm-hmm. to this low. Um, I think the really big, well, there's, there's two really big things. Um, one was, I think we have to go all the way back to 2015 here, uh, which under the last uh, conservative South Korean President Park Geun-hye, who was impeached and removed from office. Um, South Korea and Japan reached a settlement on the uh, so-called comfort women issue concerning uh, the imperial Japanese army's use of South Korean women essentially uh, in in wartime brothels and they you know this has been a highly sensitive emotional historical issue for the South Korean people uh, who've basically um, you know hold the view that Japan has not sufficiently addressed South Korean concerns. Um, many, uh, you know, many of the survivors uh, have been calling for um, types of reparations from Japan, essentially. And so the Park government sort of secretly arranged this deal with the Japanese government that really had no buy in from South Korean civil society and was described as a final deal on that issue. Um, and, of course, that didn't sit well with the South Korean public and, and led to uh, difficulties when the next administration, the progressive moon administration, progressives in South Korea, uh, of course, are are more sympathetic to critical views of uh, the history with Japan in particular, um, took issue with that agreement. Um, but most seriously, I think under, under the moon administration, the South Korean Supreme Court uh, reached a judgment ordering uh, Japan's... Um, um, uh, Nippon Steel and Sumitomo Metal Corp, uh, two Japanese um, conglomerates, and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, to compensate uh, wartime forced laborers. And right. so these are, you know, really the shadows of uh, Japan's occupation of Korea through uh, 1945, continuing to sort of cast uh, a long shadow on contemporary relations. And the Japanese government, uh, you know, uh, basically said that the Supreme Court judgment was incompatible with the normalization agreement between the two countries. I won't go into that in too much detail. Uh, And, you know, then we've had sort of um, Japan reacting to that Supreme Court order by uh, unofficially sanctioning South Korea in terms of restricting exports of high-tech material, basically a form of kind of economic coercion. You know, we talk a lot about that in Asia, but I think Japan's response Mm -hmm. to South Korea there fairly fits into that mold as well. So th- things got really bad. You know, There was a radar lock-on incident where uh, a South Korean warship sort of locked on a radar on a on Japanese surveillance aircraft. Uh, and this was all under the Progressive Moon administration, which had very little interest in pursuing um, better relations with Japan or trilateralism. And of course, most of Moon's time in office, uh, we had President Trump in the United States, uh, and trilateralism in Northeast Asia wasn't a huge priority for the Trump administration. Now all of that has sort of changed. You know, we have a Biden administration very interested in restoring American alliances, very interested in promoting trilateralism. Uh, you know, Tony Blinken, the current Secretary of State, for instance, uh, when he was Deputy Secretary of State in the Obama administration, was the point person at the State Department for leading the Deputy Foreign Ministers level trilateral consultations between Japan and South Korea. So not only do you have a U.S. government that's very interested in trilateralism, but you have a South Korean president interested in um, pursuing better relations with Japan. Uh, And then finally, in Tokyo, uh, you know, since the Ukraine war and Japan's sort of reassessment of its own national security strategy and priorities, I think um, many sort of. Liberal Democratic Party elites, I think, reluctantly have come to the conclusion that better relations with South Korea in this new geopolitical environment uh, are helpful for Japan. So that's sort of an overview of you know, how things have changed. Um, the thing I do worry about, though, Katie, is uh, the lack of public opinion buy-in to what's happening here at the high Mm -hmm. level, right? So you have this trilateral summit, but the concern that I hear, especially when I go to Seoul um, and when I talk to sort of Japanese experts and officials is trilateralism that doesn't necessarily have buy-in at the grassroots uh, is going to be on shaky ground because as you said, uh, democracies will be subject to, of course, you know, changes in domestic priorities, changes in government, uh, and that could have um, a blowback effect similar to what happened with the 2015 uh, comfort women agreement.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the sort of final question I have for you on this this topic is how how does China factor into this trilateral? Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, Japan and South Korea have different approaches to China, but not necessarily. Uh, but it, but I think they probably share a lot of the same concerns and those are shared with with Washington as well So uh, if you can comment a little bit on on the the China factor in this trilateral relationship You know, where does it complicate this trilateral? and Where does it sort of keep them all, all together?
1: Yeah. yeah, so Look, I mean when the three leaders met in Cambodia last year, you know Their joint statement is fairly long. It does not mention China by name, uh, but it talks about you know Uh, The Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, the free and open Indo-Pacific, sort of economic prosperity, technology issues. Uh, China is sort of, I think, a strong piece of the subtext there. I think when they meet at Camp David, there certainly will be conversations about China privately. uh North Korea, I think, will be the public focus of sort mm-hmm. of what you know and, and this is actually really interesting about the trilateral relationship you know when when things get bad with North Korea, which is certainly the case right now, it is sort of an accelerant to 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 better trilateral cooperation uh, and and that was sort mm-hmm. of what was happening. Uh, in uh, Certainly in Obama's first term uh, and, and early in Obama's second term as well, when um, North, the North Korea issue was an accelerant to new types of cooperation, the, the Japanese and the South Koreans agreed on an intelligence sharing agreement in 2016 amid um, what was then at the time a pretty intense North Korean um, missile launching campaign. In 2014, there was a trilateral intelligence sharing agreement. Um, missile defense exercises also kicked off at the time. So I think North Korea is going to be sort of the public um, public facing explanation for why these three countries are enhancing their security cooperation. But I think China will be a big part of um, what will, will, will be discussed behind the scenes. Uh, I think the U.S. and Japan, I think, are a lot more comfortable about um, placing China at the center of their broader approach to mm-hmm. um Alliance cooperation and um, just you know regional security policy. I think you see that in you know U.S. national security documents, Japan's new national security strategy. South Korea is a little bit different. The UN administration released an Indo-Pacific strategy that was fairly kind of mealy-mouthed about issues pertaining to China. Um, there is a lot of distrust of China, uh, especially after the. Thaad deployment, the missile defense deployment by the United States, that led to unofficial sanctions on South Korean companies uh, and 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 uh, tourists and uh, you know other parts of the economy. So, despite all of that, though, I think South Korea continues to be uh, rather hesitant to position itself as um, publicly opposing China, given that South Korea continues to rely economically on China. So that's, I think, how I think about that issue. It is, I think, going to be part of the discussions. what I'm really interested to see is, you know, beyond the um, Indo-Pacific language and the North Korea stuff, what will the three leaders come up with on kind of regional governance and uh, economic coercion and economic security in particular? Because that's been a priority recently in the U.S.-Korea and U.S.-Japan relationships bilaterally. Um, what's also interesting since the Cambodia meeting is Japan's released its new national security strategy and national defense strategy. Um, Yoon was here in Washington in April, as we've talked about recently on the podcast, and we had the historic Washington declaration. So will the three leaders also announce some kind of new trilateral mechanism on mm-hmm. um coordinating let's say you know extended deterrence or discussing kind of strategic deterrence issues this has been rumored for a while i think it is a good idea in the current landscape and i think there is some demand for it in seoul and tokyo um but we'll have to see what actually um comes out of the summit
0: well we will be watching very closely
1: Mm -hmm. uh katie before we before we close out today uh it is the end of the month, which means that uh, we've just, of course, released a new issue of the magazine at The Diplomat. And uh, do you want to give listeners a little bit of a preview of uh, what they can expect uh, in the latest issue?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we just released uh, the 105th issue of The Diplomat magazine. Uh, this issue I, I have shorthanded in in all of my notes as the colonialism issue, because uh, the articles at the front of the 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 issue. So the the cover story and sort of our big pieces uh focus on various co- legacies of colonialism throughout uh Asia. Uh the cover story focuses actually on Central Asia um and sort of really covers and details this wave of interest in, in reclaiming local identity that we've seen sort of shedding the legacies of Russian and Soviet colonialism uh, in the region. Super interesting. I think it's something a lot of our readers might not know a whole lot about and so it would be very valuable to them. And then we follow that up with uh, a look at colonial nostalgia in Hong Kong. Uh, and then we turn to the South China Sea, a diplomat stalwart. Uh, Bill Hayton is going to uncover the imperialist roots of the South China Sea disputes. Uh, And then finally, we turn to South Asia's struggles with authoritarianism kind of reflect on the dark inheritance from British Raj. Uh, And then, of course, the rest of the issue fills in uh, reporting and analysis uh, uh, on topics across Asia. So a very good issue for everyone to check out. Uh, Would love for you to read it.
1: Fantastic. Uh, That sounds terrific. And I'm really looking forward uh, to digging in.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, Please, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review, recommend us to your friends. And of course, if there's a topic you'd like Ankit and I to cover, please get in touch. Until then, uh, I guess everyone in the Northern Hemisphere, stay cool. uh, And uh, we'll try to do that here.